Dissecting the 80s is not filmed before a live studio audience. Welcome to Dissecting the 80s on this very, very special first anniversary episode. I am one half of the mega podcasting powers, Trip Lano, with me, as always, a man who doesn't look like the athlete of the day. His hiney, just a little too big. His belly, just a little too big. But brother, he's bad, and he knows it, and you know it. There were three bad people in the world, John Wayne, Dusty Rhodes, they're both dead. But he's still here. The Macho Mandrew. Andrew Lano. <laughs> I didn't. I was not prepped on that one. <laughs> well, we like to keep it honest. Before we jump into things, a couple quick orders of business. First, uh, this is Dissecting the 80s. Every other week, we get together. We talk about something fun from the 80s. If you like it, you can find more of us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Twitter.com slash Dissectomania. Facebook.com slash Dissecting the 80s. And at Dissecting the 80s on Instagram. Correct. We do have one other announcement to add. Dissecting the 80s is making its video debut so search for youtube or search on youtube god damn it you can't i mean you could google youtube <laughs> you could your grandma <laughs> but you should probably just type in youtube so just look for dissecting the 80s on youtube we haven't set the channel up it may be under a different name but if you look up dissecting the 80s you should be able to find You'll us find it. if you want to see these faces to go with the 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 audio <laughs> the you one get. person of you who doesn't personally know us <laughs> hey we have 37 subscribers that's true we don't know all 37 people they're out there i don't know th- i don't know 37 people well exactly <laughs> so they're out there listening we appreciate you but we will see you you will episode. see us, rather. Yeah, that's right. Us. You will see us, if you'd like. It's our anniversary, so we're going to do a real quick uh, gift-giving segment here. Uh, this is for you, and it looks like there's a big bag over here for me. That is for you. All right. I'm going to open this up here. Now, it is the paper anniversary, the first anniversary, in case you didn't know. Oh, that is lovely. This is a very well-photoshopped uh, trip and Krang from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I'll, I'll, I'll make sure this gets up online. This is very exciting. Thank you. Happy anniversary, oh, buddy. A ticket to our first live show. That's right. It hasn't been announced yet. It hasn't doesn't exist yet. July 5th, 2020 is what it looks like. <laughs> I can't tell. Uh, oh, no, that was the date it was made. July. Oh. Yeah, yeah. That was July. Okay. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah, that's a, that's a ticket. One of the two tickets, I kept the other for okay. our, our first eventual live show. So. Very nice. Got to have goals in life. It will be happening. Yes. Someday. Uh, we're here today celebrating our anniversary with friend of the show, Cindy Lauper, who was part of the genesis for this. Yeah, my favorite um, lady. The first thing we did under the Dissecting the 80s banner was a blog post where we watched the video for The Goonies Are Good Enough and talked about how absurd it is. Both parts or just one? Was both. it both? It was yeah, both. yeah, both, both. So it's like a 15-minute music video, very, very 80s-tastic, featuring Cindy and most of the WWF from that period. So we And thought, the cast of The Goonies. That's right, and the t-shirts. cast of The Goonies, yes. So we thought, it's only right, a year later, we got to get Cindy back on the show. So this week, we're here to talk about the 1988 feature film Vibes. You know uh, what that means. We gotta go back, Marty. We gotta go dissect the 80s. When the mega powers explode! I'm talking about the 80s. Oh, yeah.
It was Cindy's film debut, correct? Yes, yeah. First movie she was in. Um, and only, really. Yeah, I was, I'm trying to remember like what <laughs> other movies... It was a short experiment. It yeah. didn't last very long. Uh, this is her and Jeff Goldblum in sort of a weird movie that doesn't ever figure out what it wants to be. No, uh, the opening credits are surprisingly chill. For, yeah. I was expecting it to be like, <laughs> crazy colors and Cindy Lauper's face. And yeah, it's yeah. just like really gentle music. Yeah, yeah. And a yak. Yeah. And a llama. It's a uh, it's pipe like pipe organ music. Yeah, James Horner composed this movie. Right, the pedigree of this movie is ridiculous. So we have James Horner who composed Titanic, the number one selling movie soundtrack of all time, uh, and a bunch of other stuff. And the director of this movie is Ken Quapis, who you might know as the guy who directed the pilot and finale of The Office. And oh, really? A dozen episodes in between. Yeah, directed Parks and Rec. He's directed a lot of very influential modern television. But thirty years ago, he was slumming it here with uh, Jeff Goldblum and Cindy Lauper. Uh, this was not Jeff Goldblum's first film, correct? No, he'd been acting for a long while at this point. A long while? Yeah. Okay. I want to say at least 10 years. Cool. Yeah. Because uh, not his finest work. <laughs> That's the thing. Jeff Goldblum has sort of had this weird renaissance in uh, as this hipster hero, sort of, in the same way that Bill Murray has. Yeah. And I don't quite understand the... the uh, Bill Murray, I totally understand. Oh, duh. Brilliant. Jeff Goldblum, I'm not so sure about. I ha- Jurassic Park and Independence Day are really it. Right. And I think that's what it is, is everyone really kind of likes those movies, and so he's become sort of a cult folk hero because of that. He's but... straight up terrible in this movie. Oh, he is. It, it, it's beyond a, I'm phoning it in because I'm in a stupid movie with Cindy Lauper. It's right. so wooden and stilted and bad. Yeah. It's he always has weird line reading in all of his mm-hmm. movies and it's super super strange here it's even worse than usual there's a lot of long pauses and he's put the emphasis on the wrong syllable and just very very strange it's, it's like it's he's hard to... reading cue cards yes it really is um, so was he Marlon Brando yeah exactly <laughs> right uh, so we get off we start the movie with a little hey what the hell are we doing here two three guys people wrote this story also yeah we should point out three people yeah took to write three, this story three, three story credit and then two for the screenplay the um the guys that we never really get fully introduced to are searching for something in... Yeah, I was hoping to get a little more. <laughs> there's, it, there's no backstory. It's like, hey, two fat guys. Boom, one yeah. of them got knocked out, one of them's dead. Bye. Yeah, exactly. And they are searching through some, some stone village from centuries South, ago. South America, Central America looking. Right. And they have climbing gear, but I don't... The one guy has like a string of carabiners. There's like maybe eight or ten carabiners. Not a rope to be found among no. them. Not a rope to be found, but carabiners Betwixt out the wazoo. Betwixt the two, none. <laughs> There's no guy with like a shoulder full of rope, but this guy has a hundred carabiners. And a guide with a yak. Yeah, yeah. So we get very quickly into the red herring of the movie, so to speak. The big reason for this movie existing is there's this pyramid of glowing light that one guy touches and, and it fries the brain. music. Yes. I don't know if you noticed that. It's like, yeah. and then a little music, and then... Again, and I was like, tuba? What's going so on? So much tuba. Too much, too much tuba. Tuba palooza. Yeah. Uh, and then we cut from this to, you know, our heroes. And it's just straight up the opening scene from the Ghostbusters. Oh, is it really? With the cards. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot that was how <laughs> Ghostbusters like, started. Yeah, he's just holding up cards with shapes on them. And the person on the other side, in other, unlike Ghostbusters, is actually supposed to be a psychic. So they're like, you know, circle, star. It's that Russian asshole. Yeah, yeah. So... There's an assortment of psychic tests, which are actually kind of fun. I, I kind of enjoyed this bit. We've got a guy trying to move an ashtray. Uh, 
I see Jeff Goldblum. I like because I am always interested in like what sort of powers you can give people and you know movies and fiction. And psychometry is one of my favorites. Okay, um, and that's what they gave Jeff Goldblum, and it's never one that's often used in film. It's the ability to touch an object and know its history and things like that. So I'm always surprised that it's not used more in those you know police procedurals for like why that that would be the perfect power in a police. Oh, absolutely. So I don't understand why that hasn't been used before. Yeah, it's a psychic power that you don't see very often and is probably the most interesting one because Mm -hmm. of that. Um, I would actually say his is by far the most interesting of the ones in the movie. I think so. Cindy is just, she has a dead friend she can speak to. A guide, yeah. Yeah. Um, So they have this one that I really also enjoyed. I believe it's, is it Cindy's where the guy draws a picture and they Mm -hmm. open an envelope and she drew the same thing the night before. Uh, I, I, I as much as I bust on it for just copying Ghostbusters, it was kind of a fun intro to these characters, and you kind of set it all up. Mm-hmm. Jeff Goldblum's outfit in this section, though, is utterly insane, and it just starts a, a strong line through this whole movie. It's just end to end bad outfits, <laughs> except for Cindy. Cindy is bringing it home hard at, with the outfit. At one point, Cindy Lauper is literally dressed like a watermelon. <laughs> See, I also like her um, all pastels. Yeah, but the watermelon one was just, I couldn't. The plane? Yeah, yeah. yeah she gets off the plane, and she's just straight up dressed like a watermelon. <laughs> it's the best. Buenos dias. <laughs> and she takes off her hat. It's beautiful. Yeah. So she, Jeff Goldblum is getting hit on by Cindy Lauper because they're the two best people in this thing. Uh, in the, the psychic institute. Tests. Yeah, they're, they're the, the cream of the crap, so to speak. And this, the Russian guy is not happy about that, and Cindy is just sort of being Cindy, bopping yeah. about. Hitting on everybody because she's uh, unlucky in love. Sure. She's got to find that man. Um, okay. So I love Cindy and I love her acting sometimes. <laughs> she has really nice moments. Sure. But you have to slog through the rest of the moments to get there. Yeah. So that's why I think is it's so difficult about it. It, it is really a challenge. Because she has sweet moments where it's like, okay, yeah, no, you know how, you know what, and then the rest of it, you're like, okay, come on. <laughs> she's not the worst part of the movie. Certainly not. But she's clearly not a good actress. No, but she's better than Jeff Goldblum in this movie. Yeah, that's the weird thing. That's the part that's hard to reconcile is one of you is a professional actor and one of you has been stuck in here because you sing songs. Yeah. And and you're the worst of the two. Exactly. Because she's... I love her voice, her little, like, Brooklyn, Bronxy affectation. It's fun. I like... I love hearing her talk. Right. There's a lot of just strange bits in the beginning of this movie. There's just sort of disconnected, unconnected things where, you know, Jeff Goldblum goes back to work, and then, like, I just feel bad for him. Like, everyone at work is, hey, touch this thing and tell me what's going on. Tell me if my car... If I'm being ripped off about this, you know, car that I'm about to buy. Tell me this fish is old from the the cafeteria. (laughs) That's the one that blew me away. He had to touch (laughs) this gross fish. But, okay, so, yes, that would be frustrating to be used like that but when your job is a muse is a museum curator to discover the age and facts about things right use that for your job yeah because he gets so pissy he's like well based on the, the look of it and they're like just touch it and he's like <laughs> no i don't i don't touch that i don't, I don't, I don't, I don't do, that do that anymore why that <laughs> This is your job. If you can't do your job, then you're fired. He wants to be known for more. He wants to be a guy who's known for being good at museuming. I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so he gets chased down by a pack of board of trustees members who are like, touch my keys, touch my this. Tell, tell me, me what's going me. on. Yeah. And he you know, sprints away, gets away from them. Flash to Cindy. Who is hanging out with Steve, Steve Buscemi. Way below her pay grade in terms of attractiveness. <laughs> yeah, but also 10 times out of it in terms of acting. Ability. Yeah. That, <laughs> like, what is he doing in this movie? I don't know. He must have owed somebody a favor because he is here for maybe five minutes of this mm-hmm. one scene and then never 
again. But it's implied that he and Cindy used to like date. Yeah. And I was like, no, that didn't happen because he's too gross. But he's charming, I guess, right? He also got that other really attractive lady. Right, so I don't know what is happening. Well, it's your standard Hollywood ugly guy punched out of his weight class. I know, but it's it's kind of it's in in the movie She Devil. Uh, Ed Bagley Jr. gets like two really attractive women. Right after, and he leaves Roseanne Barr, and I was like, Roseanne <laughs> Barr is where like that's your pay. That's your that's your level. <laughs> that's your weight class. Yeah, that's where you should stay. Don't- <laughs> weight class as in boxing, not weight class. As in- <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> I, I, I re- I'm not trying to say anything about any. You are besmirching no, Roseanne Barr. No. Well, Ed Bagley's not a thin guy either. But <laughs> I, weight classes in boxing, I realize this is an audio medium, usually. <laughs> so weight classes in punching boxing. As in attractiveness level. Yes. Um. So he's like, you gotta get me the horse, and they figure <laughs> things out. And she's and she talks to Louise, and Louise Which, is like, no. How does Louise predict a horse race? I think it's supposed to be Louise also can because sometimes there's the whole like trope of like spirits can figure that the future that's sort of a thing right but i've never understood why that's a thing because just because you're dead doesn't like dead people can just see the future is that what we're going with okay maybe like because they exist in a different plane they can see more yeah yeah i guess that could be the thing because i will say to credit this movie which we don't often do with the movies we watch they do set the rules and then stick to them oh a hundred percent that's great people have certain abilities in this movie and as we go forward along the plot their abilities correspond to what they do there's not random powers given or taken away at points mm-hmm. of the movie which is often the case with a movie Nobody, like, like this. forgets that they have a power and doesn't use it anymore right it's exactly things like that yeah um and i also really appreciated that louise do we explain that louise is the name of her spirit we guide? did not we did not louise yeah. is the name of cindy lopper's spirit guide cindy's name is sylvia yeah sylvia pickel and uh I appreciated that Louise wasn't like a shimmer effect, yes. and, like an actress talking to right, her. I appreciated right. that it was just Cindy Lauper looking off in the distance right. and talking to a spirit, as as though it was it's what it looks like to everybody else. Yeah, which was nice. She was just talking to herself in a weird way that confused most people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I dug that as well. So she gets uh, the winning horse for Steve Buscemi, and then he immediately runs off. He's with like some five thousand dollars, thanks, toots, and then leaves with another <laughs> hot lady. Yeah, peace. And- I'm out. So Cindy, in her all pastel, then picks and hikes up her handbag, which is also pastel, <laughs> and I believe the same pattern as her dress. It is. And it's just like, come on, Louise, let's go home. Yeah. And then walks away. And uh, we forgot to mention that Louise uh, had informed Cindy that Jeff Goldblum's girlfriend was cheating on him, and she told Jeff Goldblum, and he got all mad about it. Mm-hmm. So we cut to Jeff Goldblum at his apartment in his futon with his girlfriend. Yeah, it's a futon, which is kind of a sad state of affairs for a I man know. of his age who has a pretty good job working it at a seems museum. Like a good job, yeah. He's sleeping on a futon mm-hmm. and with a girl who's also below his pay grade, I would think. Yeah, looks yeah. wise. And he some for some reason has it's not like he like they're like you know making out and he's touching her hip and then he touches her underwear. He's just holding. Well, the best part was okay. So he reaches his hand under the sheets and I was yeah. like is he gonna touch her vagina and it's like and, and psychometry here <laughs> I totally here. thought that's what was gonna happen I was like I don't like this this is gross <laughs> and weird now but then he then all of a sudden he like just cause he doesn't move his hand he just picks it up and there's a balled up panties in there all yeah. of a sudden it was yeah. a Zoolander moment <laughs> and his the direct reading is someone has touched these panties before <laughs> and I was you're, this is your fiance. I have ex- any emotion about Yeah. That. Sad, angry. Even if he, I mean, obviously he was warned about this, but it's totally weird that he just is cool with it. He's just, whatevs. I guess this is true. <laughs> and then his, his 
fiance gets out of bed and tries to blame it on him as though it's yeah. his fault that he's not just going to be okay with this. Right. You can throw away this beautiful relationship we have, or you can be mature and move on from it. And this isn't your place to decide that. No. <laughs> like, <laughs> You're the terrible person here. All consequences are directly your you, fault. You don't get to be... This isn't play, blame game. You screwed up. Right. You have no, you have no recourse to be like, no, no, you're not doing this right. No, you're, you're mm-hmm. a terrible person. You're a bitch. Yeah, you are terrible. Smash cut to Cindy going home, and there's someone in her apartment. Right. Uh, this was the only time I thought, well, why didn't Louise tell her who was there? Right. But apparently Louise isn't always reliable. We find out in about 10 minutes right. after. And also, she goes into her apartment, and she opens the first closet and takes out a shotgun. And then she has to go to a def- different closet to get the shotgun shells and put them in the gun. Was that what that was? Yeah. Oh, I thought it was just hiding behind something no, else she, and loading. No, she reaches out and like into that closet and then loads the gun, which oh. seems like poor planning. If no, you're going to sure. have a gun and use it, perhaps... Perhaps you put the bullets with it. Uh, and it turns out to be Peter Falk, who we saw briefly earlier taking pictures of the Oh, psychics. that was who that was taking pictures? Yes. I couldn't tell. Yeah, so he's there taking some pictures, and he gets chased out. You only see him kind of in a brief uh, glance. And then we he's just chilling in Cindy Lauper's apartment eating an ice cream bar. And being and sad that his uh, son has gone missing. Right. And he needs her help. Yeah, he, he's trying to enlist her. He gives her a bunch of cash, and he's like, you You're a psychic. You gotta yeah. help me. Yeah. And I will say, he is by far the light of this movie. In that he's he's popping in and out of scenes. He's willing to do anything that's asked of him. He he's just a treasure in this movie. It's but his character is the most frustrating. I think I agree. So if he if they had written his character an iota better, I would have liked him a lot more. Sure, but the fact that he would just pop in and be like, and then run out, and I was. <laughs> No, it's not well written, but he is the saving grace for me of this movie of just he's he's popping in, he's giving you a, a, a chuckle at least and then he's getting out of there and mm-hmm. he's he's doing lots of good visual gags and stupid facial expressions. I, I he's by far the most enjoyable part to me. Um and he, he his son went missing in South America somewhere, yeah. I believe. And so Cindy goes to Jeff and is like, "Hey, here's, you know, $50,000. Let's go to South America. I need your help." Right. And it's just an exposition samba of just a dump of information mm-hmm. of here's my backstory and your backstory and why we get together and how we're gonna end up being you know friends over the course of this movie and perhaps romantic partners I didn't like that because i didn't see it coming the oh, really part. yeah because i looked at it and i was like oh they're just gonna end up being like unlikely best friends like a right, buddy right, comedy right, thing right. where it's like hey you're a loose cannon cop here's a straight lace by I, the book right detective i can see that that's what i was thinking sure but i didn't realize i was like oh because it's a man and a woman they have to fall in love. right of course it's a movie i forgot yeah Cindy has another great outfit here uh, in leopard print. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and we get our, our, our first hair joke shortly after that. Finally. Oh, yeah. It took a while. We we were waiting and waiting to get that hair joke in the there. The jab finally, finally, we got the Cindy Lauper hair joke. It, it takes it takes a little bit while. A little while, excuse me. Um, then we get to the plain outfit, finally. Yes. The watermelon. Yeah. <laughs> Aforementioned watermelon. Uh, with a tool mini skirt as well. And, and he's... And what's his name? Henry? Yeah. Henry is waiting there for them at the plane. And Cindy and him have become best buds somehow. Mm-hmm. I, but, but again... I, I'm a millennial, so I was like, oh, they probably... And my head was like, oh, they've been, like, texting and blah, blah, blah. I was like, no, they haven't. They haven't even emailed <laughs> They would have had to be letter correspondence or phone calls. Right. And presumably, if that happened, we would have seen it, some of it. But instead, it's just like, oh, Peter Falk! And she goes running off the plate, and they're, like, hugging, and Jeff Goldblum's, like, all sad, complaining. And I'm just like, how did they become best buds? He broke into her house and ate her ice cream. I mean, I guess she's forgiving about that. I guess. She got money. <laughs> I think when you hand someone $50,000, I think at that point I was just, hey! 
<laughs> yeah, I hey guess, girl, <laughs> you're right. You know that is good payment for services. And rendered. fly me to somewhere to do the job. I'd be like, yeah, no, yeah, sure. All right, I can get behind that. Um, Cindy is wearing. They uh, excuse me. They go to a hotel. They check in, and they're they're going and checking out the hotel's amenities. And Cindy comes into Jeff Goldblum's room to, to help like, pick an outfit. Right? Did you did you write down her line? Because it's my favorite. Right, go ahead. Uh, if Macy's wants to sell something, they put it in the front window. <laughs> She has only low-cut dresses, and Jeff Goldblum is... What does he say? Mid-bosom? Yeah. (laughs) I love the way you talk. I bet you say penis, too. (laughs) So all of her dresses are mid-bosom, and it it makes Jeff uncomfortable. And really short skirt to the point that I think there's at least four crotch shots. Oh, yeah. In this movie. It's a little uncomfortable. And we find out Jeff Goldblum is so neurotic that not only does he travel with a store of dehydrated food, but he also brings a whole suitcase full of gallons of water, those, like, five-gallon jugs of water, to rehydrate hydrate his food because he says i was worried about that i would we wouldn't be there wouldn't be anything to eat so i brought all this freeze-dried food that just needs water and she's like you know it's the water that makes people sick here right and all your food needs exactly that and he's like oh don't worry flip (laughs) i have that too and she's just like oh okay Uh, later they're in the bar and he is drinking water out of that jug with a straw and like an umbrella in it and like a fruit fruit cocktail she's had like five cocktails at this point right um and they're sort of looking around and trying to get her a rich man because she wants a rich man. Sure. And I liked I liked the little ruse they played. Yeah, it was for pretty the rich fun. Guy. Yeah, because um, she was just, she just dove right in and was like say just say it doesn't I'll say it does and go with me. And then finally they get like go back and forth ladder. She says in a Rolls Royce some question about it does and a rich guy goes I can answer that question. <laughs> and I was like oh brilliant yeah find yeah. the rich man in exactly room. talk yeah. about Rolls Royce some very inner working feature of a Rolls Royce that only the guy who rode in the back lot would know. So she and Jeff do a little dancing. It's cute. Yeah they have it's a little moment little together. But the thing that weirds me out is in this scene Jeff Goldblum's arms look really freakishly long. He's also weirdly tall, like especially compared to her, very tall. He's probably six foot five. Is he really? I, I w- just based on the movie's context, I have no mm-hmm. idea how tall he actually is, but he seems tremendously tall. And his arms, the jacket that he's wearing is cut weird, and so when he's like, he does like a, he spins her out and he pulls her back to him, kind of thing. And her, his arm just he looks like Stretch Armstrong. It's like <laughs> yeah, he's, she's dancing, Mister Fantastic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She's just like getting spun sixteen <laughs> miles away and then reeled back. <laughs> In. She goes into like another postal code and yeah. comes back. And uh, we also see the, and then this is when they notice that the Russian uh, jerk from the Psychic Institute is right. also in South America. And that's weird. Yeah. So their plan was to figure out what to say about why they're there instead of sure. just leaving. Yeah. They, they, pretty much run up to him and are mm-hmm. like hey how are you doing buddy what are you doing here we're in love now <laughs> yeah <laughs> we just met and we're here in south america together it's cool <laughs> don't worry about it blah blah blah, blah. and they make out <laughs> um yeah see wasn't that the point where you knew they were going to get together I, yeah well i saw that and i was just is that where you got disappointed yeah, okay I, I, okay no oh yeah. they're gonna fall in love yeah I roll. <laughs> Um, so Jeff meets a lady because Cindy goes off with the handsome rich man from before. Right. And she takes him back to his room, to her room and hands him something and says, this is an aphrodisiac. And he immediately goes, this is in New Jersey. <laughs> And a police bag named PCP. You've been ripped <laughs> off. And she pulls out a knife and she's like, no, you idiot. I want to kill you. But here's the thing that I wonder. If she gave him PCP, he would have become an unkillable monster. 
I, I don't know anything about drugs. PCP, it's, from what I understand, it scares me, is that it turns you into like a rage monster. Like I've seen police report stories of a guy getting shot like 12 times and not going down because he just doesn't feel any pain. So she would have turned him into the ultimate warrior and he oh. just would have like chucked her out the window. <laughs> it would have been crazy. Well, <laughs> yes. well, instead, instead she goes to charge him with the knife and he sidesteps maybe a half step yeah not even <laughs> and she just goes rocketing through the window <laughs> flips over the balcony and f- crash lands on the ground right just dead on the pavement not bag of soup but dead yeah, but totally dead <laughs> totally, totally i think dead. they're on like the second floor yeah not super high yeah kind yeah of a thing. but she broke a neck she's done oh yeah donezo <laughs> so he immediately runs to find cindy lopper because he assumes that rich guy is also gonna kill her yeah and he goes in the room and he hits got... him with a bible yeah <laughs> And he's like, he was going to strangle you. And he holds up what he was holding. And it's a, a diamond necklace. He's like, you idiot. <laughs> he, just, he just travels with a suitcase full of those. <laughs> yeah, right? And he's the Spanish ambassador. And he throws them both out of his room. And yeah. she's so pissed at him. Because <laughs> you ruined my chance to get lots of money. Right. And Peter Falk is just comes running out as, as just more exposition thing. But he comes in with a couple of great gags about them getting tossed out of the hotel. And he's like, no, nah, don't worry about it. We're fine. Come on. We got to go somewhere in the morning. Yeah. And then they go to look for the woman who tried to kill Jeff Goldblum and she's gone. Long gone. She doesn't come back. Nope. Spoiler alert. <laughs> nope. Totally expected her to show up again later. Yep. I was, she doesn't. No, she is never seen or heard from. <laughs> she goes to another movie, I guess. She I just, she just she hopped the bus to I was out of so movie. confused because I assumed, <laughs> like, oh, she's in cahoots with Russian guy. Obviously. No, it's not even explained who she worked for. Yeah. Never. Because they don't even talk about her later when they reveal who the bad guy is. He doesn't mention, my woman might have failed to kill you, but I won't. Yeah. There's no talk of her. Yeah, I was expecting her to be his wife or his girlfriend or some vital part to the plot. And nope, not even remotely. So, so upset. (laughs) So they take a bus to the middle of nowhere and Peter Falk explains that the reason why they're there is because his son would was doing a report about South America and was investigating this town. And this is the point where I start going, all right. We have a woman who's got a psychic friend, mm-hmm. and Jeff Goldblum knows the the history of anything he touches. How has neither of them figured out that he's lying to them? That's what I because I was I even when even if you don't have psychic powers, because I don't, <laughs> he's still lying. <laughs> yeah, I can tell that just by looking. He's at He's way talk. too old to have a son in high school. Well, even that is just the way he's saying everything. I'm just like, no, it's uh, Harry Junior. Yeah, and I'm sad. <laughs> <laughs> So how did no one, neither of them figure it out? So he hands Jeff Goldblum his shirt as though he's like a bloodhound. And yes. it's just like, here, figure this out. Yeah. And Jeff Goldblum immediately goes, oh, no, this is not a son. And he goes, oh, it's my dad's. No, no, whoever owns the shirt is your age. Yeah. Okay, it's not true. And then immediately it goes, oh, no, I lied to you. You're, I brought you to South America on a lie. Yes. And that's the part where I don't understand Peter Falk's plan because he knows Jeff Goldblum's ability. So he knows as soon as he hands him that shirt, the jig is up. I guess he was hoping he wouldn't look at that lap point of, like, who was in the shirt, just where they were. Yeah, maybe. Or, I mean, maybe he just thought, he's once he's in South America, I got him under the gun. Yeah. Here. But, yeah, it was just very strange. His plan doesn't make a lot of sense. And he and Cindy, Jeff Goldblum and Cindy, are still on board, apparently. Sure. They're like, okay, whatever. Yeah, we want a lot of money. I get it. But we're roughly 38 minutes into the movie at this point, and it's, it's a 100-minute movie, and this is where we start to have a plot, which mm-hmm. is really frustrating. See, I didn't, but the movie doesn't drag a whole lot. 
there aren't there weren't a lot of points when I looked and went, hang on, how what at what like wiggled the mouse? Been like, what point are we in this movie? Right, right. It it was it clipped along nicely because at this point I looked and I went, oh, I've been watching this for half an hour. Okay, I thought it had been like ten minutes. Yeah, yeah. It, it does have a decent pace to it, but you know, it's just one of those. It just takes a long time to get to where we need to you know advance this movie in the plot. Like it's just mm-hmm. it's just. And this is part of my other issue is this movie doesn't really know what the heck it is. It's sort of a psychic romantic comedy. It's sort of a screwball farce with some psychic stuff thrown in. It's kind of an action adventure heist movie. Yeah, it doesn't really know what it wants to be and it never does any of those things well, which is kind of a frustrating thing. Yeah. So... Another line we missed, actually. Oh, we did? Yeah, just a, just a one-liner I had down here. Uh, Jeff Goldblum goes up to the room with that woman when she's giving him the drugs, and he says, parts of me are already applauding, which oh, is yeah. very confusing. Yeah. Very confusing about what Jeff Goldblum's anatomy looks what, like. <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> what What's going on downstairs? <laughs> so They go to the hospital. Yeah, they go to meet uh, Peter Falk's departed friend, or nearly, nearly departed. departed, yeah. And he reveals that it's... He, they're trying to get him. He's dying, and his mind is just firing randomly. And kind of, Jeff Goldblum's kind of being a dick about it. Yeah, he's like, not nice. Talk about the gold. No, talk about... The, he's like, just wanted to say, talk about the gold. Just talk about the gold. Where the gold? Do you remember what that was? And Tell my wife that... Shut up, gold! I love her. Anyways, the gold, did you know where it was? Do you have a piece? Did you bring some back with you? The light of my life. Is, um, is it in your pocket? Like, I can just look around. Like, it's cool. Is it in your pocket? Is the gold in your pocket? <laughs> touches him and the awesome 80s like outline shimmer effect yes. happens and he gets thrown off your, your ghostbusters electricity type situation mm-hmm. yeah um and also that's how did no one notice he was holding a piece of stone in his hand <laughs> right. the hospital just put him into hospital clothes and let him keep holding <laughs> onto that rock yeah it's kind of weird jeff goldblum your power is touching things and you didn't <laughs> notice he was holding a thing yeah to touch yeah like, the perfect thing to touch right right the other the other fun thing and this is not plot related but we watched nine to five which was made in 1980 probably 1979 realistically and everyone's just smoking away in the hospital mm-hmm. eight years later even in south america what i don't know what i don't know if their culture is anti-smoke against ours is, I, i've not spent time there but even in south america the hospitals have no smoking signs oh do they really yeah well perhaps they filmed it here in america but there were no smoking signs in the hallways which i, I didn't even notice that yeah, yeah um so they go it only took it only it took until 1988 for us to go you know probably not wise to have lit cigarettes <laughs> around people in the hospital <laughs> Dying of lung cancer? That sucks. <laughs> like, like I was alive at a time when people were still like, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, you're having a kid? That's wonderful. Like, <laughs> Hold that for a second. <laughs> Whoop! There you go. Slap. <laughs> Give me that back. Oh, it's a strange uh, world, isn't it? It really is. <laughs> Russian psychic who... Did we establish if he was actually psychic? He's at the Institute. He was the one getting all those cards, mm-hmm. right? But he... But then he got one wrong, and then he chastised the guy. For He said the guy's mind was too jumbled, and he yelled at the guy for what he was thinking about. So I assumed that meant he was actually a psychic. Okay, because he doesn't use his powers. Not often. That's the only thing I was just kind of like, you're a psychic. Right. Why aren't you doing anything? Yeah, he doesn't really... He's more muscle than psychic. Yeah, exactly. Um, and he, he just casually murders a nurse, or shoots, shoots a nurse. shoots her in the arm, and she goes down like she's dead. My note was, she died from a shot in the arm. Because <laughs> uh, she's like presented as a sort of like big like tough she's a no-nonsense nurse oh hell no she's burly and brawny and um all of a sudden cindy starts talking to louise and louise gets 
uh, his mom in starts feeding Cindy information right and like sings a song to distract him it, and it then, took less than an hour to get her to sing by the way 57 minutes is what but she didn't even sing. like really it was like a, an old Russian folk tune it wasn't like she sang a <laughs> pop song and no. like, did a full performance <laughs> no but it was just I knew it was going to be in here I at the beginning of this movie it's like alright w- how long into it before she sings it's not like Mandy Moore and just like gets up on stage and is like here's a full performance number it was it was a Russian folk tune <laughs> it was tune within the plot hospital. yeah it was fine um, so as he's distracted, WWE nurse stands up and grabs a chair and just breaks <laughs> it over his back and By knocks God. him out. <laughs> yeah. She got a chair. <laughs> she clobbers him. And it's a great uh, 80s goofy breakaway chair. It goes into a million pieces. It's it a really just great shatters yeah. and he goes down and yeah. they leave. They just leave him there. Yeah. Yeah. And that's and at this point is where I started noticing that they're following the rules of the psychics that I said of it. I was hoping that it would continue. You know, we talked about this brief there already, but it, you know, this is where I first noticed. Oh, they're sticking to their rules, which is so rare in a movie like this. Time exactly. travel, psychic stuff is often a problem. Um, <laughs> they go out and they start hiking where they're going to go. They start traveling up the mountain. They break for the night. They set up some tents, and it's a full size regular looking tent, and then another regular looking tent, and then a tiny little baby tent, a pup tent. <laughs> Why? I don't know. But Peter Fox in a tiny little baby tent. I guess for the visual gag. <laughs> on his feet sticking out. Yeah, that's, it was that size of a tent. I expected that. Um, so, so Cindy goes to Jeff Goldblum as he's doing something. What was he doing? He's shaving. Shave. That's what it was. I was like, he, a tiny, like an 80, like I love that the 80s, everything travel was so tiny and ineffective. <laughs> it's this big, like the size of this thing. And it's just. It's about an inch and a half wide, yeah. It's it, it, He holds it between two fingers. Mm-hmm. And also, it's one of those, clearly a screenwriter was like, oh, but he's going to have to grow a beard if they're in the woods. No, you don't. It's a movie. We'll just accept that he doesn't grow facial hair. But they, It's not like they're there for months and right, months. Right. They're there for maybe a week. Right. It's not like he needs a castaway beard. We could have just gone with what was there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he's shaving. She comes in, like, all sweet. And then they kiss. And I, why can't they just be unlikely besties? <laughs> why can't it just be a screwball best friend comedy? That's what, that's what I want <laughs> and I don't even think we've gotten that in 2015 yeah, no and also they don't really have good chemistry together no they don't at all so that's kind of a problem with the whole thing is they don't have really good romantic chemistry uh, Peter Falk finally saves the day she had alluded to the fact that she had been braiding his hair and that's why she she <laughs> was styling his hair and, and he like, comes in with his hair all in cl- clips and, and stuff and like a just, finger wave yeah she's like hey what's going on in here can I sleep in this <laughs> yeah he just pops in pops yeah, out yeah that's he just keep every time you see him he pops in hits has a nice joke and he gets out of there he, he really keeps this movie lightened with his presence uh, then Jeff Goldblum wakes up in the middle of the night with the stone thing and walks and walks. It's vibrating. He's like carrying this vibrating rock. And he walks to a green screen. <laughs> <laughs> this the, is where the movie gets real green screen. Yeah, it does. There's a lot of matte paintings and green screen happening. The, so he goes like looking. The, he, the rock takes him to where he needs to go, essentially. It's all foggy. He's you know climbing all the way up the thing. And he comes back the next morning. Peter Fogg is eating a can of beans, which is just delightful. I get, yeah. <laughs> He's like an old timey prospector <laughs> i don't understand him it feels like they, they just he just grabbed whatever was around he does whatever he feels like yep. doing i don't think he was scripted i think he just started doing things <laughs> he, he wasn't even actually hired for this movie he just no he just to be showed there. up and they yeah. were like oh, whatever we edit around you're, him you're, i feel like you're peter falk i mean it's a boon for the movie um, so he's immediately goes, we have to go. And Jeff Goldblum goes, no, we can't go there. We have to leave. And Jeff Goldblum is near comatose. He's he's mm-hmm. a couple steps higher than the guy we saw in the hospital, but he's clearly under the same influence. Yeah. 
And he goes, Peter Falk was like, we gotta go. Uh, if God may, may God strike me down if something bad's gonna happen. And then he drops dead he gets, with a knife in the back. Yeah. And this made me so angry because there was still roughly 25, 30 minutes left of the movie. And the only person who was making it good for me, dead that, and out of the movie. Gone. Gone. By the Russian man. Yes. And, sneakily, also the guy who was running those experiments. Second Institute yeah. is revealed to be the big bad. He's he's all in cahoots with the terrible people. So they make Jeff Goldblum take them to the Lost City of Gold. Right. Um, the whole thing was just this long, elaborate ruse to, to find get, this to Lost get, City of Gold. Yeah, it's why he wanted the psychics. It's the, the whole reason for his plan. It's... We were talking before about how this movie's kind of all over the place. It's got... It's like he took Ghostbusters and Indiana Jones and put them in a blender. Mm-hmm. And somehow, like, you know you skim the fat off a of sauce? Yeah. That's where all the good stuff was. Yeah, and they the did, top. Yeah, they didn't know. And so they strained the fat out of the thing and they poured it out. And instead, you just had, like, a gross, horrible monstrosity. Whatever's left. Yeah. yeah. And, and all of the good stuff got skimmed and taken out. The swashbuckly adventure stuff's gone. The good comedy is <laughs> gone. The chemistry between all the people is gone. It's just all the good things are out of there mm-hmm. um, so they have this long trek to the lost city it's like a 10 or 15 who was minute. the guy who was with them there was the Russian man yeah uh, Dr. Steele from the institute right. and then the third guy that Cindy apparently recognized he's just hired muscle it's, she says oh you're Carl. you're that 10 tin tin salesman so tin salesman? when they get off the bus with Peter Falk Peter Falk buys a piece of jewelry from a man on the street oh that was him yeah okay I couldn't figure out what she said his name is Carl which I only know because he has an I'm terrible at character names in case that wasn't abundantly obvious over the last 40 minutes he has a necklace on with his own name on it yes he does <laughs> I like that yeah so Carl has his own little his, his own name on a vanity necklace. plate yeah uh so they're it's a long trek up they're winding through all these paths and whatever and it's mostly an excuse to just hang out in this rock set that clearly took a long time to make yeah which is fair well, maybe know, they like, found they yeah. were like it's, we're getting rid of it soon anyone want to use it anyone want to use it before we trash it <laughs> before we burn it to the ground uh, so they get up and they have to go you know figure out what to do with this giant pyramid that they haven't been able to deal with and it turns out that there's this long decoded message they have to get through and figure out the power of the pyramid and they kind of have a vague idea that it unlocks some psychic energy source power kind of a crystal yeah. scully yes. sort of a thing they're not 100% sure what it does but they know that it unleashes great power and Dr. Steel because Dr. Steel doesn't reveal his plan which I liked that there wasn't a big monologue yes. but I didn't like that I didn't know what he was doing yeah and that's the thing that you don't understand is everyone makes fun of villain monologues but there's an actual point to them because then the audience understands the what's states. happening yeah. <laughs> so practically they're stupid yes. but in a movie you need them because right. I don't know what his plan was right. he just was like I'm going to unlock it and, and then what what are you doing with it? I don't understand. Cocks the gun. It's like, <laughs> yeah, that's what I would do. That's what a normal person would right. do. But we need to know what's happening. Exactly. That's that's it, that's truthfully the reason of it. The only reason villain monologues are good is because then the audience knows what's happening. They know the stakes. Right. Um. So then we get uh, Chekhov's astral projection. Yes. Because we didn't mention we didn't mention it earlier, but Cindy says that um, as a kid she got she met Louise because she was. She got hit on her head or something? She, she fell off a ladder. Yeah, she hit her head. And was in a coma for two weeks and woke up and was able to see Louise and to speak to Louise. And so they put her in a home and Louise taught her to astral project. And, you know, she went to the movies and experienced life. And Jeff was like, wow, that's very impressive and it's difficult to do. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I hope that comes up later. Oh, and of it course. it does. Yes. So they separate them and make them talk so they can kill them. And what's the fat Russian guy can decode the thing. And right. Cindy decides to project to 
to Jeff and says, Louise, don't bother get, trying to get me back because it's too late now. And I was like, oh, no. If we're going to kill Cindy in this movie, I'm real upset now. <laughs> Peter Falk and Cindy, Cindy dead in the same movie? No. <laughs> There's no reason She's on the poster. <laughs> you can't kill people on the poster. Don't you know? There are rules. Uh, so, I trusted you. So Carl has taken Jeff aside, and he's gonna he's gonna kill him. He's got a big knife and a machine gun, and he's like debating which thing to kill him with. And start, Jeff starts talking to Cindy, and Carl's so confused. <laughs> he's like, "What are you?" He, he, there's a lot of dialogue where he essentially is like, "What are you doing? doing? What's happening? Are you talking? Do you talk to rocks a lot?" <laughs> It's like Carl has not been informed that, that there's psychics involved. <laughs> right. <laughs> These are just crazy people. Yeah. The captain of the team has one psychic on the team and two psychics they're chasing. And at no point is he like, Carl, you should know, by the way. That <laughs> there's psychics involved. Just that they exist in the world. And that's a thing you have to <laughs> They're real with. Yeah. in this universe. Psychics are real. You got to deal with it. Sorry. So, to me, that'd be like having a vampire in your team and fighting vampires and not telling the pers- other person in your team <laughs> right, right. that they're real. Right. It doesn't make all Oh, by the sense. way, everything is magic is real <laughs> so he's he, this is his dad right? yeah yeah he has cindy do the same thing they did before except it's carl's dad and carl hated his father they really didn't like so each he other. punches jeff goldblum in the face <laughs> and jeff goldblum distracts and then punches him in the face right and goes back to save cindy cindy wakes up well that's it's it's the stupidest possible plan so he knocks out carl which is fine he's not a murderer he takes carl's gun mm-hmm. and then he goes to rescue cindy who's you know unconscious and still astral projecting but he doesn't. It doesn't occur to him that he didn't knock Carl unconscious for a long period of time. Yeah. I, well, I didn't think about that until later when they reveal Carl's woken up. Sure. But I also didn't realize what their plan was because she was like, "Oh, we can't just leave because they're going to finish decoding it, and then by the time we get back, they're going to be all powerful and able to kill anything in their path." Right. So they have to put a stop to this. So he's like, "Okay, I'll stay. You go get help, and then bring them back." Yeah. Why it's is the, that the plan? It's the stupidest possible plan. Just take them at gunpoint all the way back. Or just kill them. Yeah, okay. That's fine, At too. this point, they have murdered Harry. Yeah. yeah. They murdered Peter Falk. Yeah. So Mur- shoot them and then put their hands on the stone and they'll just get vaporized. Exactly. No evidence. Doom. Perfect, perfect, thank you, man. perfect murder. So you're in South America where no one knows you are. <laughs> it's true. No one's going to come look at it. It's true. And nobody knows where they are. Yeah, they could have gotten away with this murder very, very easily. So this um, concludes how to get away with murder in this particular film. Yeah. Um, so there's a little bit of a Carl knocks uh, Jeff Goldblum out or knocks into him. They get the gun back. And so Cindy like scrabbles over to the pyramid of doom and is like, I know how to solve this because Louise told me how. Yeah. So everybody get out or I will activate it and kill I'll just kill, kill everybody. everybody. Yeah. And at this point, I was certain we were going to get a Garden to the galaxy thing. Oh, because if, if you recall in the other time that we saw the pyramid the first guy touched it the second guy touched him and then and went zapped but away. the second guy didn't get killed the first guy did and i was like well the psychic people probably have the ability to like absorb this energy and i thought we were going to get like a guardian's chain of touching russian guy was going to redeem himself yes kind of well that he might even just like get tagged in as a way to like oh i gotta harness the power and he like tries to get in there too and then suddenly there's like this whole like and then they become like super beings or something oh, that would be nice yeah i was i was really sure certain we were getting that guardians instead what we get is uh, Cindy murders everybody. 
<laughs> Cindy straight up murders a bunch of people. Yeah, yeah. She like looks at uh, Carl, whips him over the edge. Yes. She uh, looks at at fat Russian guy, also gets knocked down, like, dumb- tumbles down some stairs. Yes. Doctor Steele starts to run away, and a big stone falls on him. <laughs> it's a giant head of a, some sort of carving statue, and just Indiana Jones size boulder thing just smashes him down, crushes him. Yeah. And then Jeff Goldblum uses Louise and is like, Sac- "Please help her," and right. somehow Lu- and Louise sacrifices herself and saves Cindy's life. Yeah. Goes into the light. Yeah. So so Cindy wakes up and is like, oh no, I can't see Louise anymore. This is terrible. I lost my psychic powers. Yeah. So they stumble back to the hotel, looking haggard <laughs> as hell. <laughs> There's like their clothes are ripped, their hair's a mess. There's like a blood down their nostril. Kind dirty. Of everyone is staring at them because it's a nice hotel they were in. So right. they walk into the lobby and everyone's just like, oh, what are you doing here? You sh- you you don't belong. Do you in need this a hospital? hospital? Yeah. Like get get out of here. Um, so they go to separate rooms, and then Jeff Goldblum comes in and talks to Cindy. and Who is wearing, at this point, a backless, backless turtleneck sweater. I loved it so much. <laughs> High turtleneck, no back. No back. How and why and what? <laughs> it was kind of like... Um, <laughs> Hillary Swank's Oscar dress that year that was very hot button issue. Yeah, yeah, the with big the, oval yeah, missing, in yeah. the back. Yeah. Except this is like a thick sweater that she has with it's a no dress. Back. It's a sweater dress. Yeah, yeah, it's ridiculous. I would wear that dress. <laughs> I want, I want a turtleneck, a backless turtleneck. <laughs> viewers at home or listeners at home, if you want to send us. And they have this. Just it's so long. We didn't need it. It's just just do it already. Well, he picks up a glass and does the whole. This person's in love with me and doesn't want to tell me. And she goes, "I haven't touched that glass." <laughs> yes. And I thought it was going to be a sweet moment of I'm not using my powers. Yeah. Of like that and but it wasn't. He was like, I better go tell the but the No, that's what it was. He was joking. But he didn't say that. <laughs> he got up and left. Yeah, well, I think he he took her saying I haven't touched that glass as a rejection. Oh, okay. Yeah. See, I thought it was going to be No, I th- the way I think that was supposed to be read is he was like, "Hey, I like you." And she was like, "Nah." Got it. <laughs> and then she picked up a glass and handed it to him. Was like, I've touched this one, and I was like, We don't need this. <laughs> yes, it's th- so it just totally your refru- fruits the first gag. Like mm-hmm. why she would reject him and then bring him back? Because I don't, but I don't think it was supposed to be a rejection then. Yeah, I don't. But the whole thing, it's just like ten minutes to get to the scene where they finally are like, all right, let's make out a bit. So he carries her over to the bed, and she bumps her head, and she can see Harry now, which was pretty delightful. I, I love will that. say, I I, I kind of saw it coming when she lost Louise. Like, oh, that's how Peter Falk comes back. But I was hoping we would get shimmery Peter Falk in the room, and I was really bummed out we didn't get. Instead, one we got stared down the barrel of the camera. <laughs> it's <laughs> Harry, straight to camera. And like, Jeff Goldblum also looks can't stop smiling and laughing. Yeah, they don't. Like, Oh, Harry's hey! They don't bother doing another take. They're just like, whatever. Go. What, this movie's done. <laughs> we just want to go home. We're so tired of being <laughs> here. Please let us free. Uh, speaking of, of tired of this movie, you know who else is tired of this movie? You. This guy. Well, Cindy also was said she was going to stay in this country because she was like, I like yeah, it here. Yeah. Why do you like it there? <laughs> what is there to like? <laughs> Uh, yeah, there's well, no technology. No, you are in the only nice place for a hundred miles. Yeah, 
And the other the other thing about it is no one has even treated her all that well. The guy like Jeff tried to get murdered by his his lady, and her man friend for the evening was kind of nice to her. He was nice to her, but until Jeff him the Bible. Yeah, well, that's true. He, he did have reasons to be mean, but it's not as if they've been overly welcomed by all the people that they yeah. encounter. It's a very strange. Go reason. back home to New York, right? To your big apartment, by the way. Yeah, way bigger than Jeff Goldblum's, <laughs> who's living in a, a matchbox, a hovel with <laughs> a futon for crying out loud, a two person. Two person apartment apparently. Yeah, yeah, not really a not really a fun place to be. Jeff Goldblum's New York. I don't feel like. So, uh, would you recommend this movie? Um, no, but I didn't hate it completely. Okay, so I mean, if you don't have if you have nothing else to do and it happens to be on television. Sure. Highly unlikely that that will be yeah, the case. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. This is a hard to find movie. It's, it's really difficult. The, the DVD is actually out of print, and it's it's was you know it's like a twenty dollar thing to oh, acquire. It really? Yeah. It's it was it was not cheap to get. So it's it's definitely it's not. I don't think it's available for download anywhere or streaming. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a hard movie to track down. Presumably because it's terrible and made two dollars. Yeah. Uh, the, the in Wikipedia, it's under box office. It just says this movie did not do well. <laughs> it's not even described or explained in right. any numbers. It's just this movie did not do well. Six percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. So that's that's fun. Yeah. Um. So it's because you have to seek it out. I don't think it's really worth it. Right. But if someone, if if you happen upon it, why not? Okay. I I I I just didn't hate. Like, there's there's a lot worse movies we've watched for this. Absolutely. Show. I, I think it's a solid middle. That's that's true. I would not recommend it, but I also did not hate it. I would say I'm in that same category of uh, it's perfectly acceptable. It's not unwatchable. The you know it's not some of the stuff we watched. Even like it's not always in focus and the lighting yeah. is bad. Like this is a competently made movie by a director who will go on to do bigger and better and things. A composer, yeah, and a great composer, mm-hmm. super great composer. So it's kind of weird to see this early period of two guys' careers where they're just kind of figuring themselves out. I guess uh, you know Jeff Goldblum obviously goes on to way bigger and better things. Cindy never acts again which is probably for the best of everyone i feel like she's done like probably like bit parts and like little things she might have played herself or played on some tv shows and so i mean she mm-hmm. does have other imdb credits but she she's never at like a never got another vehicle like this yeah exactly um so yeah i i also i wouldn't i'm not i'm not recommending it but it's not like oh i hated this and this was the torturous experience that's, that's my it's I, we need a middle ground we need like a halfway <laughs> yeah well, like, I, I, don't I, seek it out but don't yeah. turn it off right yeah you could you could do worse but you could also do way better i think that brings us to everybody's favorite segment of the show hot tag taglines so uh we've got you, you want to try to do it together instead of just one person clapping? Oh, all right you ready hot tag tagline vibes no no they're not good <laughs> i liked that i thought that was a good one that was a very clever yeah. one all right you ready hot tag tagline mm-hmm. vibes yeah we want to cast cindy lopper in this one <laughs> That's the other thing. I tried to find out information about how this came about. I want to know. Right. And I couldn't find any information about any... I wanted an interview with Cindy, like, during the making. I even looked... I'm not kidding. I Googled LA Times around at this time, like, trying to find the archives. Because I've read, for this podcast, good stuff that way before. And there was nothing. There was no, like, interview with the producer being like, oh, she's the next big thing. And tell them how everyone, how great she's going to be. It was very weird. I totally expected that stuff. And it didn't happen. Yeah, full of it. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing? No. That's so interesting. I'm sure it exists. But I, I wasn't able to track it down on, online anyway, so that was kind of a bummer. I was hoping yeah. to see something from from Cindy. See, plot. Honestly, I think they could remake this movie because it was so obscure. But 
the plot was there. There was stuff to work with. Right. Like, throw Kate McKinnon in there as Sylvia Piquel. Sure. And I'm on board. Sure. I think that would be a great movie to watch. <laughs> now, here's the question. Are you going to do it Ghostbusters style where you, you just ignore all the past universe? Or are you going to do it like a reboot cool? I think it would just be a remake, like a reboot. Okay. Total, I think, total fresh. Yeah, total like okay. make them just redo the movie. Okay. Because yeah. no nobody's seen it. <laughs> so it's not like we have to deal with... Uh, <laughs> the backlash. Yeah, about- from the fandom. <laughs> not, the, the one dude who loves vibes is going <laughs> to... Jerry is so angry. <laughs> you, you're not going to ask Cindy Lauper to reprise her role. <laughs> Outrage. <laughs> Can't it be about their kid going off mm-hmm. to find a new pyramid? No. You know why? <laughs> because no one watched this movie. <laughs> Jerry's so mad. He is mad. He's the biggest fan. Um, so yeah, I uh, again soft recommend, I guess, but yeah, not 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 the worst. We've done we've done way worse. Yeah, yeah. It's a solid middle of the road. Yeah, and uh, congratulations on a year. It's pretty yeah. exciting. Yeah, it's it's pretty. You it's know what? Pretty... I think we should start. We should um, have a ranking of like the best we've seen all the way down to the worst we've seen, and okay. start putting things in there. Okay. Yeah. We I think that'd that. be a, a fun thing to do. We were going to do something special for this one, so we, did, we uh, should probably done at the top well, of the show. Video is special. It, it is. The video <laughs> is special. But we also need to elect uh, two people to the Dissecting the 80s Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I had a hard time with this. I'll be honest with you. Okay. There was there was a lot of deliberation on my part. And I'm going to tell you the two people that I really seriously considered before. And then I you picked, picked this other person? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So uh, I really strongly considered Leah Thompson. Okay. <sighs> Because she's been on the show three times. She's, you know, a big part of the 80s. She's really solid and stuff. So I I really, really struggled with Leah Thompson. And the other one that I I really, really struggled with was wanting to pick... Arnold Schwarzenegger for only the running man. Just that character. Just that character in the yes. running man? Yeah, because we love Arnold and he'll be back, but I feel like I just wanted to put Ben, I can't remember his last name, but Ben from the running man in there because of the, just the, the accent and the whole thing. Uh, yeah. Richard Dawson also was a consideration of mine. Okay. Because he's so good in that. But ultimately, I felt like the reason I have to pick who I picked is because there's no chance at a, at a return appearance. And my nominee for the Hall of Fame is Bruce the Shark. Oh, We've done okay. both of his movies. He's never coming back, and I feel like it would be the Hall of Fame won't be won't wouldn't be right without Bruce in there. So okay, the the for the of the first class of Dissecting the 80s Hall of Fame, one of them is Bruce the Shark. Okay, so right congratulations, there. Bruce. Yeah, welcome, welcome to the Hall of Fame. I feel like I want fin prints. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got to do that. Yes, little fin prints. Yeah, and... maybe a bite mark. Yeah, yeah. My pick. Uh, it seems like I'm picking it because of what we just watched, yeah. but my pick is actually Cindy. Okay. Because she's the genesis. Like, we wouldn't have done this. There, there would be none of this without yeah, Cindy. True. She was mo- A lot of the inspiration if, came from discovering that, that video. music video and talking about it. Yes. And, you know, girls just want to have fun. Yep. Her music kind of permeates everything we watch. I was really hoping you would pick her because if I had picked Bruce and you picked someone else, I was going to be bummed. So I was, I'm really glad you picked her. We, we didn't <laughs> discuss no discussion this before <laughs> right now. This is the moment of truth. So it was just entirely. So I was, I was really. Really glad that you picked her because I, I think you're exactly right. It would be she has to be there. Mm-hmm. She's literally the reason this show exists is because I, I I found either you found it or I found. It, I don't recall which. I think it was you because. Yeah, we were talking about crazy music videos because the music video for Ghostbusters is just bananas. Yeah. And we're like, what about other weird 80s music videos? And we found that one. So we watched that and then we did a blog post. Like, just we chatted about the thing as it was like a live blog of it. And then, we, you know, something's here. We should do this. And that's sort of the genesis of the podcast. So I'm really glad that Cindy is in the Hall of Fame as well. Oh, so definitely. Con- congratulations, Cindy. It's a, it's a big honor for you. You and Bruce are the inaugural members. 
Uh, thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget that you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash dissectingtheeighties, twitter.com slash dissectamania, slightly different because of the character limits, and instagram.com slash dissectingtheeighties. And you can follow us, oh, you can follow me on Instagram sure. at Andrew Dean Lano. And I am. I'll put it on the screen. I know. And, I, <laughs> and I am at Trip Lano on Twitter. Uh, not thank Instagram. <laughs> no. Trip is not on Instagram. <laughs> no. And I am very barely on Twitter. <laughs> I'm on Twitter. He's on Instagram. But uh, send us a comment on facebook check us out uh and dissectingtheeighties.com may not be live yet but it will be live soon so keep an eye on that as well thank you guys so much for listening it's been an awesome exciting year and hopefully more to come do you have a clue for next week um no <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty then we'll go, with, <laughs> we'll go with our standard it was filmed between 1980 and 19 no, 1979 1979 and thank you all so much have a wonderful everything and we'll see you in two weeks don't you forget about me dissecting the 80s is a chum some of this production Ow.